This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Rahul, I know I said it's all things Premier League, but I guess we're going to open up and maybe finish up with Champions League because there's a sign that we are not going to be in there for a while. But how are you doing, my friend? How are things with you and how are you feeling about the result? I'm doing pretty well. I think um, at this point, we're just numb to what's going on. Um, and so, you know what, it's, we just got to get to the end of the season. I'm not going to get worked up about it. I'm not going to get upset about it. Kind of expected, even though my prediction suggested otherwise, I think I kind of expected this to go the way it did. Um, and ultimately it's goodbye Champions League for now. So all things Premier League is what we'll be talking about moving forward. Listen, I got a little wrapped up in the hype of everything and I got a little bit emotionally involved and I said, no, I think we can come back. I think there's a way. I think you <laughs> you, you fall in love with the idea of Frank Lampard doing the remotada, as they call it, and, <laughs> and doing a, a big a big un over Carlo Ancelotti and making it work. And honestly, we started well, but I think you can call it that's a wrap for a season. It's the end of the season. It's time to put away all of the fancy tools and just start wrapping up for the, for the year. But no, I think we have to be here. We have to discuss things. We have to talk about our club because there's a lot more going on than just games. So why don't we dive into the episode and dis- dissect a few things? Yeah, let's let's do that. So Real Madrid come into town third year in a row. They come to Stamford Bridge. And this time around, obviously, as everyone knows, we're down 2-0. Something has to change. Something has to give for us to get back into, into this game. Um, but the first goal was crucial. Uh, I think we had said that going into the game, but the first goal was going to be crucial. And if it didn't fall Chelsea's way, we knew the tie was over. Right. Uh, but let's start with, with the starting 11, Jackie. So I'll read it off for you. Uh, sure. And then I'd like to get your, your thoughts on it. So Kepa in goal. We expected that Chaloba, Thiago Silva, Wesley Fofana as a back three. Reese James, Enzo Fernandez, Kovacic, and Kukurea as the four. And we played a two and then a one, ultimately still three three uh, attackers. I say attackers in quotes. Uh, Angolo Conte, Connor Gallagher, and Kai Havertz. So Kai back into the lineup. Uh, Raheem Sterling and Jao Felix dropped from the first leg. Uh, we kind of maintained the three midfield players in Angolo, Enzo, and Kovacic. Chobel obviously misses out, so Kukurea comes in. Uh, Kulubali misses out, so Chaloba comes in. And then... Connor Gallagher continues uh, after playing and scoring against Brighton. When this lineup came out, Jackie, what did you? What were your initial thoughts? Just looking at this eleven, what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, I know you're reviewing it as a three-four-two-one, but I honestly saw it as like a three-six-one, and <laughs> and I, I'm being a little bit funny, but I'm also being very honest. I think looking at it, I thought. Chelsea are going back to classic Chelsea, which is packing the midfield, defensive as can be, and maybe holding off Real Madrid for the first 20, 30, 45 minutes, seeing how things progress and then kind of go from there. I didn't really think or expect that Kante and Gallagher would be as high as they eventually ended up playing in the game, which is interesting. So I wasn't mad at the starting lineup, I'll say that, but I don't know if it was what I envisioned as the game kind of played on. Yeah, I mean, it's it comes out, right? And I think everyone was expecting attacking players, at least in right. the front three. Uh, and Kai Havertz, I think, was an obvious choice. We, we know he's the only option we have. We know what he can do, especially on a, on a Champions League night. Uh, so I think that was an obvious choice. The other two were an interesting one because mm-hmm. uh, I looked at it and I'm like, what is the formation here? Is it a four? Is it a three? Obviously, right. we knew it was a three. Uh, but I'm like, is Lampard being a little clever here and trying to throw Madrid off and have them guessing? But ultimately, the game kicks off, and you see why Conor Gallagher and Conte are in there. It's to press. It's to run into spaces when Kai drops and pulls the center backs. But they're not attackers, Jackie. We're, no. we're asking two players who are full of energy and on any day they can 
help a team out, but not help them out that further forward. Uh, and so when I looked at this attack in, in even first 20, 30 minutes of, the, of that game, it worked. It worked because we were getting some opportunities and opportunity falls to Conte on his left foot, which I don't expect Conte to score there, right? But given the magnitude, given the day, given the occasion, it just has to go in. It has to be that goal that we're looking for. Um, but Conte doesn't score. I think the, the commentator said something like in the last 42 games that Conte has played in Europe, he scored zero goals. <laughs> uh, so that should tell you exactly what was missing. I think the setup was right, Jackie. We controlled the game, at least in that first half. Of course, Madrid are, Madrid are always going to have opportunities, but we controlled them. We prevented their midfield. Modric gave away the ball more times yeah. than any other player. And that tells you what pressure he was under and, and the spaces that we were kind of closing and, and getting into. But you're asking two players to do a job that they can't do. And I, and that's where I, I want to get your thoughts is, could Lampard have picked... Okay, fine. You want to play Angolo Kante, you can play him. But on the other side, could he have picked maybe a Mason Mount, a Pulisic, a Mudrik... I'm not going to pick on Joe Felix and Sterling because we know the pressing and, and that that isn't their, their forte. So if we want that energy, maybe a Mason Mount. We saw him against Madrid come on second half, have a shot on goal. Rudiger mm-hmm. blocks it. Came on against Brighton second half, had a good game. Why why didn't we see Mason in the starting 11? It's a question I cannot answer. And honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think Lampard has done maybe the best tactical job I've seen in four games, which is picking the players to press and close down the engine that was Madrid because in that first leg, they were all over us. I don't think we stood a chance no matter what we tried. In this game, dare I say the first 20 minutes, we were maybe better, maybe even 30 minutes where we controlled not the game, but we controlled the energy and we controlled the tempo, which is very, very important because it gave us a sense of belief. It gave us that idea that we can do something in the game and it rattled Madrid's feathers a little bit. And I and I mean that very humbly because I think Madrid are very difficult to, to rattle. But I think, yes, it's difficult to answer. Coming back to your original question, Mason Mountain can do the job that Conor Gallagher does as far as pressing goes and maybe he has a better eye for goal. Mudrik can press as well, but not sure if Lampard just felt he wasn't ready. You touched on Jao Felix and Sterling. They're not those guys to press, and maybe they're more when the team is doing well. You have a kind of a luxury player. So I don't want to pick too much on the starting 11, Rahul, because I, I think ultimately it worked. I just think the point is the point that we struggled with most of the season is no matter how many chances we have, we cannot put the ball in the net. And and that's uh, it's something that Lampard can't do because he's not on the pitch. He can coach us and get us to a point where we can score or, or have the option of in the uh, be in a position to score. But he's not there. He's not kicking the ball. He's not reacting in the moment like N'Golo Kante. The ball falls to him. Uh, but Jackie, I want to touch on Kai Havertz before we kind of continue just discussing the first half. Kai Havertz, we've seen perform you know, on and off in the last month or so. I want to say his best game was maybe against Dortmund, second leg, and then Leicester when we played them away. And what he does is when he drops, he gives the ability to the two people next to him, either the wingers or whatever you want to call them, take those spaces. And he drags, in this case, Militao, Alaba with him. Do you think in this scenario, you tell Ajal Felix or Raheem Sterling, this is exactly what I want you to do is, is press, right? And then be in, in an opportunity when Kai drops, you take those spaces. Of course, we didn't have the time and Lampard hasn't been the coach that long, but could something have been done differently with our attacking players and just motivate them or fuel them enough to say, you know what, just don't stop running. Of course, you're never going to be an Angola Conte or Conor Gallagher, but it just left me wanting to see what could have happened if we had just someone more with an ability to finish. Of course, Joe Felix, Raheem Sterling, Kai Havertz all missed chances. But if that opportunity, the first opportunity that Conte gets falls to Joe Felix, does he score that? And and that's what is going on in my head. But I want to get your thoughts. Could Lampard have maybe just trusted his attackers a little more to say, you know what, guys, I want you to press, 
But when the opportunities come, I trust you guys to finish them. Unfortunately, Rahul, even for me and you watching on the sidelines, it's been hard to trust our attackers this season. And that's just the plain honest truth, right? Jao Felix was bought in for $9-10 million for a loan for six months, which I will say, watching him, he's a very pretty player to watch. He's a dancer. He's a ballerina. He knows how to dribble. But I think he has one goal and one assist in the games he's played so far. I don't know how to trust him. And Raheem Sterling came with this big reputation of, and I think we've covered this before, right? He can score from the wing. He can do assists. He can play as the false nine. But honestly, he's been very, very poor. And I know you have a bad relationship with Raheem Sterling. And I don't mean relationship in the terms of like you and him are friends and it's fallen apart. I mean relationship in when you see him on that team sheet, you go, what is he bringing to the squad? So I sit back and I hear what you're saying, right? Lampard could have brought in the likes of Raheem, Zhao, Mason, Mudrik, and could they have done something? But I look back on Graham Potter's tenure, and ultimately these are the same players that failed him. He rattled every single week about XG, and I made this joke, right? Who cares about XG? I care about G. Nobody scored the goals. And so maybe Lampard is scratching at, at his head or, or grasping at straws and trying to find out Maybe Conor Gallagher can get into these positions because he will work no matter what happens, and you saw that. And Conte will work no matter what happens, and he will do that, right? But ultimately, they don't score. I'm not sure if you have a Raheem in that place or, or a Zhao in that place. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure they get in those positions either, Rahul, because they're not the kind of guys that want to run and finish. So it's a, just a tough one, and I guess we'll never know the answer because the decisions are made and they play out the way they play out. Yeah, we'll, we'll just never know, and it's tough, but... Look, we we take it on the chin like we have most most of the season. Uh, but in that first half, I think let's just continue just talking about the setup, the players, what they did and how they did it. Um, it was interesting because at certain points when we were attacking, Thiago Silva was the last man back, basically one-on-one with Benzema. Even the threat that we know Vinicius is, Reese James was really tucking into the midfield. And, and at certain points, I'm like, is Reese playing as a midfield? Because he's dribbling through the midfield. He's he's getting and running through the midfield. Um, I think we were ready to take the risk. We were like, we understand what we need to do. It just it just didn't work out. And even Kepa for a while was just an audience, a spectator watching right. and kind of seeing how it's all going. Um, so I do have to give credit to Lampard. He, in my opinion, got the 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 shape right i just think the personnel could have been a little bit different but in your turn in your the way you saw it the first half do you think it went to plan of course without the goal and at the end of the first half when it's nil nil going into the second half and before we get to the second half we'll obviously take a message from from the sponsors but just on the first half when we didn't get the goal did you think there would be something changing at halftime Watching that first half, I didn't think anything needed to change. And I think that we've criticized Lampard and even Potter heavily for tactics. And I think tactically, even though you don't have the personnel who can finish, right? I think tactically they got it right. And I think I don't want to to break it down into first half, second half. Yes, we'll talk about the second half. But you and I talked about what it would mean for us to get 15 shots on Madrid's goal, right? In the first game, Rahul, the entire 90 minutes, we had seven shots, three on target. In this game, we had 19 shots, six on target. So you can tell tactically we gave it our all. And I hate that saying because Potter has (laughs) ruined it for me. But we really came out there and said, we have nothing to lose. This was really our Champions League final. And I mean that, honestly, this was the biggest game left in the season for us. I don't, I eat my words here if if I'm wrong, but I don't think we'll get dragged into the relegation battle this season. (laughs) And I don't think we're going to make top four, obviously, unless we go on some insane run right now, which I don't see happening. So this was the greatest game that we had that could end up being something for us in the season. So they really went in. They really pushed. They really tried. They really put pressure. But it just comes down to the same thing. I don't know if he could have put on anybody else, and I don't think we would have scored. It really just comes down to... We, we we did what we could, and it's just not working out for us. Yep, and and it summarized in that Cucurella shot right at the end of the first half where all the good work has been done. Reese puts in the cross. I don't think Cucurella is anticipating it get to him because it does get through uh, a couple of their defenders, and it falls to him. He takes a touch, looks up, kind of looks down, looks up, um, and, of course, Courtois comes out and, and mm-hmm. shuts it down. 
could Kukure have hit it the first time, in your opinion? I've seen a lot of fans say, why didn't he hit it? Chilwell hits it first time and it's a goal. I feel like that's a little unfair because Chilwell is a different caliber, different yeah. person, different confidence level, the way he plays. Kukure, I mean, you saw it in that clip that we posted on, on our Instagram. Ashley Cole's really going at him, giving yeah. him instructions. And it's not just him, it's the whole defense, but particularly him because they played the, the similar position. Uh, I think it was just unexpected for him to it came yeah. to him and and just he's not in the right mind frame and confidence to finish something like that. It's not that easy to take on the first hit as well, and I think it comes with confidence. That's the key word, right? This is a team that hasn't scored goals all year long, Rahul. I think Real Madrid have more goals in England than Chelsea have <laughs> in April, right? That that's absolutely ridiculous to say, but that's the truth. And I think it comes with that, like Chilwell scores a goal because Chilwell is a different beast altogether. And that's just being honest. I'm not saying Kukurea is absolutely garbage. I think he's a slightly different type of player. And a Chelsea team that's scoring 100 goals a season, like the Carlo Ancelotti team, you could make a sneeze and the ball's going in the net because that's how much confidence was flowing through us, right? I, I don't want to blame Kukurea too much to it. I All I'll say about that first half is this. If you're a long-term listener, you know that Rahul and I text all the time about the games no matter where we are what we're doing we keep in touch that way and that's actually some of the brunt of the content we bring to you guys here is what we recap on our text messages if you're a new listener first of all thank you for coming and listening but this ends up being kukurea is going to score a goal today maybe we should bet on him <laughs> the team is really up for it. look at him going in i bet you that he's going to get in there right the point i'm trying to make is we're, we're picking at him and we're trying to say like it's his fault right but he was up for it. He was bombing up and down that first half. He was really trying to make something happen. Yes, I'm sure in a, in a different situation where we're super confident he scores that goal. But I can only take the silver lining out of this is they really wanted to do something. They really wanted to try. And I said this before and I said this and it's hard to say again, right? If we put up a, an effort, if we get 15 shots at Madrid's goal, I'll be happy. And they did what they what I said they would do. So here we are. That's all I can take from the game. Yeah, and and I think the first half we were the better team, but going in nil nil, uh, we had to score two and ninety, which came down to two and forty five, and that was just uh, too big a task for a squad right. that's just not confident and not in the right form and, and mind frame. But before we get into that second half, ultimately where things fall apart, uh, let's just take a quick message from our sponsors, and we'll be right back, guys. The Premier Chelsea has partnered with Fubo TV. Fubo TV is your home for live sports and TV without a cable in the US and Canada. You can watch on all your devices, which means you don't have to miss any of the actions or goals that Chelsea score in the Premier League and Champions League. You heard that right. Fubo TV Networks broadcast Premier League, Champions League, and many other leagues and tournaments. So what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today at FuboTV.com forward slash TPC. All right, guys. So we're back, and let's talk about the second half, Jackie. It was ultimately where things fell apart, like I said, and and Madrid came out and did what Madrid do, which is um, score. <laughs> but let's start. I think the first second half starts. We spoke about there were no changes. I think Lampard was satisfied with what he had seen. Uh, I thought maybe a couple of changes should have come in just to add a little more of an intent attacking me, uh, but. We continued in the same kind of form and for the first 10 minutes or so. But for some reason, Madrid... No, I, I don't even want to put this on Madrid because, of course, they did what they had to do. They put Rodrigo out, out wide, and that's what you do when you have wingbacks because that stretches the game. Uh, right. But when your wingback, Jackie, runs three-quarters of the field into the other half and is then picked and the ball just goes over him... He's now completely out of position against a, a speedy guy in Rodrigo. You still have a center back there who decides to dive in. And what do we, I mean, you and I never, let's just make it clear, have gotten professional or coaching or anything like that. But even in the amateur and the basic level, we've been told, don't dive in. Hold off the, the attacker. Make sure you don't give him space to run into. And for some reason, at this level, Chalaba decides to jump in into a tackle. Rodrigo just dinks it over him and now has the rest of Stamford Bridge to run into. 
uh, they score, they cut it back. Everything just doesn't go our way. But the initial mistake for me was when Kukure just decides to bomb forward without any consequences. Chalaba jumps in. But what are your thoughts on this? And did we just basically shoot ourselves in the foot? Yeah, look, it's tough because on one hand, we're telling them play with risk and try and get a goal because we need that goal. And ideally, Rahul, if we get that goal in the first half, I think we're more settled in the second half. But we start that second half like a house on fire and everybody's kind of pressing. But yeah, I think there's a method to pressing. I don't think you just kind of just run all over the pitch and do what you need to do. And I don't want to shame Kukureya or say he was horrible, right? Because I think he had good moments in the game. But yeah, he was way off the mark. He left his man completely unmarked. And I think that happens when you're a wing back. You're going to find yourself drifting in or playing out wide or getting in behind. So he makes a mistake and you go, okay, we're used to that. We can figure it out. But then you kind of look at your center back and you go, you're the third man. You're almost like the additional cover when this happens, right? Chaloba's positioning is off as well. He's almost pulled into the middle of the park, almost like he thinks we're playing a two instead of a three, which is interesting on its own, right? I think he comes over to Rodrigo and I know you say we didn't play professionally and you were taught not to dive in and all. I was like, listen, man, you can be blind and deaf and you don't want to dive in because you know what's going to happen. I think if he stares on his feet and pushes him down to the side, it gives time. And in fairness to Kukure, he gets back. He's in, he's in the frame to defend when that ball's coming back in. So I think if Chaloba stands up as well, maybe you get a chance. But listen, Madrid, if they wanted to turn it on, they can turn it on. It comes down to, I don't want to blame the players individually. Chaloba has not played a lot of football this season. Kukurea has not had the best season overall. So what's the point of kind of rubbing salt into the wound? Madrid is a top quality team. It takes one mistake and they will punish you. And that's what happens. And that's what happens at the highest level. Um, so we go one down in the 59th minute, which basically ends the tie because Madrid are now yep. three up, which means we have to score at least three to get this into extra time. And I said before we went on our, our, our little break, you needed two in 45. Now you need three in 30, which yeah, it's football and it can happen, but not just, just not with this Chelsea team right now. Uh, we didn't give up, Jackie. We continued to fight. No, not and- at all. Uh, brought on some players. Mudrik comes on. Uh, Mason Mount comes on. Ja Felix comes on. Sterling comes on. So I think Lampard did realize at this point you have to throw everything at it and see right. see what we can do. But we just didn't have the shooting boots on. I think Mudrik looked good, which is encouraging, which is a positive for us because he did look good against Brighton. Uh, the second goal, Jackie, I think we just ran out of steam. Similarly, we were picked off with the with the ball from the deep. Uh, Vinicius runs onto it, passes it. Valverde is a very good player. Um, And just 1-2 back to Rodrigo, 2-0. And and that's the game. That's the tie. That's goodbye, Champions League. Uh, But overall thoughts on the second half. We ultimately lose this game 4-0 on aggregate. We didn't even score. Uh, But overall thoughts from you in in this game. And, And I guess our Champions League run so far or ends here. Yeah, listen, up until the 78th minute when we concede that second goal and I guess fourth goal in two legs, I thought we didn't give up. And I think that's a mark that's very important because we struggled this season where we look nonchalant, we look like we don't care. And I think you and I have texted back and forth saying, where has this Chelsea been all season long, right? And, And I know we didn't score a goal, which is the brute of a lot of the problems here. But the energy, the determination, the aggression, the things that Frank Lampard himself highlighted saying we're missing that little bit of edge of aggression, that little bit of energy, that little bit of determination to try and figure out how do we get there first to the second balls. I think I saw that for 78 minutes. Obviously, I think it takes the wind out of you when you get and do that extra work that you've not done all season. And you can say that, okay, yeah, we've trained and this and that. But when you play at this intensity week in, week out, you build in that stamina. And I think ultimately by the 70th, 80th minute, that stamina was gone. It's been a long, emotionally, physically draining season. And you could see when that second goal goes in, I think Chelsea heads kind of hang low and said, let's just do damage control at this point and let's not get it worse. But 
yeah, it's going to be a tough time without us qualifying for the Champions League. But hopefully it's a chance for us to reset next season and focus on the basics because that's really important at this point in time. I think that's a great summary. And and at this point, it's a step back. But I think it's a step back that's needed because the new ownership basically just need to build up from here. And yes, no Champions League, which does mean no revenue and income that comes in from a competition like that. But the other good thing the owners have done is some of the new players that have come in, their wages and their you know, money and stuff is tied to being in the Champions League. So if you're not in there, it goes down. And that's a smart move, in my opinion, because you can't continue to get three, four hundred thousand pounds a week for playing. And you know who I'm talking about uh, for playing just in the Premier League. But um, we're out. It's going to be at least another 18 months before we make it back into the Champions League. It all depends on how next season goes. Uh, it's been a good run. I think we've been in and out in the last few years. Uh, we we did win it in 2021, so that's always nice. Uh, but I think if we want to sustainably and continuously be in the Champions League, this might be the step back that we need to take. Uh, so, Jackie, let's talk about this season real quick in general. And let's open it up not just to us, but to our listeners and followers too once uh, we, we kind of share our thoughts. Is this the worst season ever, at least in the last 20, 22 years or so? Yeah, hands down. This is the worst season in the 20 years that you and I have been following Chelsea. I think 2003 is when we started following Chelsea. This has to be the most difficult, emotionally draining, toxic, confusing. I'm thinking of more horrible synonyms to associate with this, but... Yeah, Rahul, it's a horrible season. I don't think I've heard or seen of anyone worse than this. So is that driven by the fact that we're out of the Champions League, we're out of the cup competitions way early, and then the Premier League? Um, Or do you have some numbers specifically with the Premier League that you want to share with us? I think you can look at 20 years of finishing in the top four, top six, right? Maybe... The closest one would be 2015-16, I think, after Robbie Di Matteo, or maybe it was another manager at the time, Jose Jose Mourinho, Mourinho, I think. Yeah, after Jose Mourinho's second stint, he's let go, and we're having a horrible time. But even then, Rahul, I think we didn't have four managers take the helm. We didn't have a new ownership spending $700 And if I remember correctly, we finished that season in 10th with 50 points on the board, right? And I'm looking at our season now, and we are in 11th with only 39 points on the board. And we've played 31 games. We have about nine left to go. We have about seven left to go. I apologize till we get to the 38th mark where the season's over. And I'm looking at some of these games, man, and I don't see how we're going to get that, that 11 points to even match the 2015-2016 season. It just seems so far-fetched that this has to be the worst season that I've ever been a Chelsea fan. I, I I don't disagree with you, but I think, I mean, given that now there's no Champions League, I think that was a distraction in the season where, oh, the Madrid games, the Madrid games, Chelsea always win when we change managers. Well, we definitely don't win when we change four. Um, but 39 points, Jackie, so we need 11 to make it to 50. So anything beyond that, does this put this season above 15-16 for you? It's tough, right? I think I said emotionally draining because we came off a couple of high years with Thomas Tuchel, and I think he had formed a relationship with the fans. I remember till today him seeing his banner being unveiled at Stamford Bridge, and you could see his love and his emotion. Rahul, this man didn't use social media for several years, but he found his Twitter password to say, (laughs) I'm surprised my time at Chelsea's over, and My relationship with the club, with the fans, was incredible. I'll never forget what we did. He won us another Champions League. He won us the Super Cup, which we had never won. The World Club Cup. I mean, so many things had gone. And even if he didn't win us a single trophy, I think the difficult times that we had put up with, the way he handled it so eloquently had just endeared him to the Chelsea fans. So you fire him. You bring Graham Potter. That just gets toxic. You fire him. Bruno comes in, which... I'm not opposed to Bruno taking ownership for one game, but you you usually hear of an assistant manager or 
somebody with some credentials, and I'm not disrespecting Bruno, please forgive me if it sounds like that, but they kind of just put their hand in the hat, kind of shuffled some <laughs> names and said, you know, Bruno can take charge of the Liverpool game. You bring Frank back in, love Frank, but it's like you're tarnishing his record as well. And now we're hearing the search for the managers being prolonged. It's just, you can give me 51 points and I'm still going to tell you this has been a horrible season to watch, my friend. I think I think I agree with you. I think the Frank Lampard piece was a PR stunt that has gone wrong. Yeah, the last game he won as a manager was back in October, Jackie. So wow. his record is much worse than ours. <laughs> uh, and that's saying something, right? So um, for his sake, I really do hope, and obviously for Chelsea's sake, I really do hope that we just use the next seven games and give some opportunities to the like of Mudrik, the likes of Madueke, Badishile, Datra Fofana, and let's see what they can do. Of course, we want to get to 40, 42, 43 points. And just be safe. But let's see these youngsters do what they need to do. I, I do think we do make it to the 50 points. And you're going to ask me, well, we play Man City. We play Arsenal. We play Newcastle. We play Man United. Where are these wins and, and points coming from? I just feel the weight's kind of been lifted off any expectations. And that's where we'll kind of see some improvement with a draw here or there. Maybe a win against the likes of, and I'm not disrespecting them, Nottingham Forest and Brentford come to town next week. Maybe we can pick up a point there. We just need to use these seven games to build some momentum and positivity going into next season. And then we take it from there. So uh, let's talk real quick about the next manager. And we've heard Enrique. We've heard Nagelsmann. Uh, Enrique today reportedly is not really part of the the shortlist or, or the final kind of two or three that we've narrowed it down to Nagelsmann and Pochettino are. So I'd like to get your thoughts on, on those two names and why not continue with Enrique if we're kind of pursued it and to start with. First of all, I'm disappointed that they're not moving forward at least to the later rounds with Enrique over Pochettino, I'll say, because I've always said with so much turmoil going on, you need somebody who has a little bit more experience in the game of managing so many high-profile players as well as a complicated board situation. And I think, barring Chelsea, maybe Barcelona is the most complicated board situation that I've heard of in modern football. So you can look at it and say Nagelsmann, young, 35, 36. He's really only been in the game three, four years. Did okay with Dortmund. I'm not going to say he was bad there. Did... Very well, in my opinion, with Bayern Munich, but the board and the politics ultimately gets to him, and that's where we see what's going on, right? Pochettino is not a Chelsea guy, Rahul. We don't go pluck Tottenham failures and bring them into Chelsea. If you're talking about PR stunt of bringing Lampard in, the most opposite thing you can do is go bring somebody like Pochettino who didn't win anything with Tottenham and bring him into this Chelsea for a long-term project where PSG said the same thing. They wanted a long-term project with Pochettino, and look how that ended, right? If it if it ends up being Nagelsmann, fine, but I'm just a little bit disappointed that maybe Luis Enrique didn't go to the finals with Nagelsmann. We're, we're still talking about someone like Pochettino. I, I hear what you're saying, right? And I think when we initially did the reaction to Potter or even Lampard coming in, but we said long-term, who do we want? Um, I was never in favor of Enrique. I think he's had the best Barcelona team bar maybe what Pep had, and he took them to the trophies. But naturally, I think they were just going to win trophies because of the the team that they had. Um, but apart from that, he's not really done much. Yes, he can play good football, but we've seen Scolari came in and he played good mm-hmm. football for four months, and then that kind of just disappeared, and and we we had to bring someone else in. So. Um, I'm okay because they've clearly done some due diligence, spoken to Enrique. He obviously was in London. And they've said, you know what? This is not the direction we want to go in. Between the two, Nagelsmann and Pochettino, I'm looking at it and I'm like, who takes the boxes that we want to kind of hit with the next guy? Premier League experience. Worked with young players. Did wonders with a Tottenham team that really wasn't worth going to the Champions League final or or being a second-place finish to, to Leicester. I get what you're saying. He's a Tottenham man. He's he's managed them. It's kind of like saying, 
let's go bring in someone from Arsenal that had met, like Arsene Wenger maybe. Uh, but I look at him like, we have a lot of young players. Enzo is young. Yes, he's won the World Cup. Mudrik's young. Barishile is young. Kukurel is himself young. Reese James is young. Mason Mount is young. Maybe having someone like a Pochettino that has experience working with young players. Deli Ali, Jackie, under Pochettino, was one of the best midfielders up and coming. And we've seen what's happened since then. I don't know. Maybe I'm changing my mind on Pochettino and, and you guys can call me out on it for, uh, you know, being maybe flip-flopping a little bit here. But from what is out there, I think Pochettino may not be a bad appointment. Get some positivity, get some young players firing and and see where we go from there. But again, I'm okay with the club taking this time to do all of this work now to understand who's going to come in, build a project with them. Because we don't want to rush into it and say, yes, Nagelsmann it is. And then six months later, we're like, well, he's too young. He didn't have the experience. The boardroom's not backing him. And here we go again. So I'm okay. Let's continue to use some more time and, and get someone in place. But let's not wait till end of May because that's a little too late. Let's get someone in in the next couple of weeks and let the players know who's coming so that they can mentally and, and you know just start working for for that in the summer. Yeah, listen, I think if Pochettino comes in, I'm not going to sit here and get angry or disappointed. I think it's difficult to see the links with the ex-Tottenham manager. I think Tottenham been famous for poaching ex-Chelsea managers, and so that's <laughs> what I'm expecting. But taking the time to find the right man is so critical now. And as Chelsea fans, all I can say is whoever comes in, we need to set our expectations that things may not go the way we're envisioning. If it's a Pochettino, if it's a Nagelsmann, if it's magically Luis Enrique is back in the running and he's <laughs> the man that comes in, right? There are three or four guys that they're looking at. It could go up and down, just like with Graham Potter. Obviously, there were more downs than ups ultimately in the game and it got negative. But we have to buy into this long-term project. I think you now fired Thomas Tuchel, who was off bad results, Potter off bad results, Frank comes in, it's bad results. At what point do you say it's not just these managers? There's a lot of change in the ownership, and we talked about it in our last episode. There are too many players in the squad. We've talked about that many times. Give somebody three, four seasons to thin out the squad and build it in their image. And that's a very difficult thing to do as Chelsea fans because we're not used to that. So... I don't want Pochettino. I could be wrong and he could come here and work miracles. I highly doubt that. But at least whoever they bring in, let's give them some time to do something and show us what they're made of. A hundred percent agreed. So let's move on from that. Let's touch on some other Champions League results before I, I get some predictions from you and who maybe goes on and wins it. We're down to the final four. Madrid obviously make it through once again after beating us and, and they have the the most titles, the pedigree, so they'll always be favorites. They'll be facing Man City, Jackie, who went away to Bayern and ended up getting a 1-1 draw. Erling Haaland scoring once again. Uh, and then on the other side, it's an all-Italian semifinal, AC Milan versus Inter Milan. And that throw, brings me back to our early days of, of getting into the sport and watching the Champions League. So it's good to see both of those teams back there. And, and for me, I think Giroud, Tamori, the connection there with AC Milan, it'd be great to see them make it to the final and, and hopefully oh, yeah. go on and win it. On the other side, there's Lukaku on, on the Inter team. Uh, but let me get just the predictions from the semifinals. Madrid, Man City, who do you think is, is going to get it in, in this uh, game? It pains me to say this, but Man City look like a really, really well-oiled machine. And I think for years we've been saying they went out of the quarters. They went out of the semis. They made it to the finals. Chelsea knocked them out because we had the magic in our blood. I think they've always had a missing piece, Rahul, and that missing piece is Erling Haaland. And I think he's been absolutely phenomenal this season. I don't care if he doesn't have the link-up play or he's not the Pep-style <laughs> cutesy player that passes around. If that ball is in that 18-yard area, Erling Haaland finds a way to score a goal. He scores in the first leg. He scores in this leg. He scores a hat-trick every other weekend. I don't know what more <laughs> to say. He should be the missing piece, and I think they have the 
willpower and the technical ability to make it past Madrid. So I think Manchester City will do it. So Man City in the final, and who faces them on the other side? Is it our, our beloved Giroud or not-so-beloved Lukaku? I'm not even going to talk about Giroud, Rahul. Rafael Leao was absolutely incredible in that game. I think he's a real talent. He was linked with us for a couple of seasons. But my goodness, he was dribbling through that Napoli team. And Napoli, for the longest part of that game, could have scored many, many goals. But, you know, when you go on a Champions League run, you have to have a little bit of that silver luck on your shoulder that says, no matter what happens, you're going to go through. I think Milan are going to edge this one. And I mean AC Milan. AC Milan. So Man City, AC Milan final, which I think Man City would be favorites. I'm not disrespecting AC Milan, but yeah. Man City would be favorites. Jackie, would you be okay if Man City won the Champions League? As a Chelsea fan, I think we're okay with them winning the Premier League because we know what the, the other option is. But just watching and, and you know seeing where really that's the missing piece from the, the Pep journey so far would you be okay if man city win it no i'm supporting ac Milan <laughs> all the way in the final if they make it there i don't want manchester city coming back with it with a champions league listen they're going to be a tough nut to crack right they were extremely difficult for us to play with but pep's had that kind of lingering shadow over him and i think it should continue that way where he can win it i'm going for the italian teams to win this one I really hope so. Or Madrid, really. It's 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 the <laughs> Italian teams, Madrid and Man City last in, in my pecking order. And it's not because I'm like, oh, I don't want to see English football succeed. I, I just don't want to see Man City succeed in this competition. <laughs> <laughs> um, they can win the Premier League. They can win the FA Cup because they're stopping Arsenal and Manchester United or Brighton. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't I don't want to see them win the Champions League. But Jackie, I do want to point out before we move on, I watched a quick, I didn't watch any of the games today between Bayern, Man City and, and Inter Benfica, but I watched a quick clip of Kevin De Bruyne talking to the CBS uh, studio and they asked him, the treble is on, how do you feel? And he goes, Sheffield on Saturday, I want to make yet another FA Cup final because I've only won once and I want this trophy again. And that to me spoke volumes about the mentality because... This man has won five of the last six Premier Leagues. He's made it to Champions League finals, of course. They won the domestic treble. They've made 100 points. They've 100 goals. What every every record. And here he is just still saying, I want to make it to another final because I've only been there once. I've been a guy that has been maybe contradictory at some point in my time where I say, you're an individual player. Who cares with all the turmoil? And ultimately, Rahul, I'm linking it back to Chelsea, right? Like, yeah, the manager, Potter, didn't do a good job, or Frank Lampard's poor tactically, and this is what it is. And even if we're schoolboys, we should be able to string together a few passes and score a goal, right? But here's where I contradict myself. The difference an elite manager can make to the mentality of a player. And Kevin De Bruyne is a prime example with, unfortunately, not succeeding at Chelsea because I'm not saying Jose wasn't elite. I just think you need to put your arm around a guy like Kevin De Bruyne and say, you're my man and here's how we succeed together. And then you can look at the counter side of it when he's with the Belgium national team and all of these noises come out of the camp of they're too old and they're not working together. And then you look at, uh, I forget their manager's name, Martinez, I think, says, yeah, listen, we have to rebuild and all of this stuff. But this is the same guy, week in, week out, breaking records, finding phenomenal passes, scoring goals, and he comes out and says, yeah, I want to win another FA Cup. Listen, the FA Cup's a big trophy for some of us, but for Manchester City, their eyes are on the Champions League and Premier League, but the fact that he's still there, I give a little bit of credit to Pep Guardiola and what he's instilled in this team and, and how to do it. So coming back to my Chelsea and squeezing my way back into it, this managerial decision that we make next is also important to get the right mentality into this club again. A hundred percent. It's it's going to be crucial on how we move forward because the old regime and the way we did things is gone. I think we want to move away from this hiring and firing culture because we want to build some sustainability and some consistency like Pep has, like Klopp has. Yes, Klopp's having an off year, but you almost know that they'll come back next year because they trust him and they they will back him in the in the window. Maybe not with Bellingham, but with a few other pieces that would 
make them better as a as a team versus just an individual. Uh, but moving and talking about Chelsea, let's move on to a team that brings us some joy that is in the Champions League that can make a final, and that's the women's team. So they're back. They've made the FA Cup final, but they're back this weekend at the bridge. The men don't play. It's just the the women playing this weekend. Uh, against Barcelona, Jackie, in the first leg of the semifinals of the Champions League. It's our first meeting against Barcelona since the 2021 final, where Chelsea lost 4-0 against Barcelona, giving Barcelona their first ever Champions League tie. And that was a tough one to take because we came into that final feeling good, feeling prepared, obviously knowing that Barcelona were coming into it 60 games unbeaten and scoring for fun. And I think maybe the occasion got to us. We didn't get the first goal. Uh, and I hate saying that, but we just didn't get it. And Barcelona kicked on and, and we were caught out in certain occasions. Uh, but this is a different game. It's the, the semifinal. I think we wanted to make it this far. We want to make it to the next stage. We want to win the trophy. Um, what are you expecting? And b- before you get there, I'll just give you some stats. So Chelsea's last six games, they won two, won four and lost two. And Barcelona's last six games, they've won all six. Uh, they've set first in the Spanish League. Chelsea sit second, obviously, in the Women's Super League with two uh, games in hand. And it's a tough one because we do have some injuries, especially in defense. But come Saturday morning or, or mid-afternoon in the UK, you can bet your house on it that Emma Hayes is going to have these girls ready for it. If you look at Champions League ties, there's always what we call the Champions League pedigree, right? And I think for Chelsea for the longest time, and I'm speaking about the men's team for a second, we would lose to the Champions League pedigree, Rahul, the likes of United, the likes of Bayern Munich, the likes of Real Madrid, the likes of Barcelona. Coming to the women's side, there is Champions League pedigree in Barcelona now. The women have won their Champions League. They've taken over that duct. It kind of builds into the system. Playing them gives me a little of uneasiness that it's going to be an extremely difficult tie, and it is going to be an extremely difficult tie. Take nothing away from what they've done. The one thing that I see some positives on is we just not knocked out Lyon, which is a big thing because they're the existing women's Champions League holders, right? right? So I think that gives you a little bit of a mental edge. You've got Lyon. And by the way, Lyon have a pedigree of eight Champions League women's Champions Leagues that tells you they're one of the best in this competition. So when you knock out a team of that caliber, you've got to be riding that high. Yes, we're not won a couple of games in the last five or six, but that's okay. I think Champions League nights are a little bit different. They're a little bit special. Unfortunately for the men, they were not. But coming to the women again, this is an opportunity to kind of push on and break that little bit of uneasiness or fear of losing 4-0 and saying, no, listen, we just beat the reigning champions Let's push on from here. And I've always said this, and I stand by this. To win the Champions League, you've got to beat the best to be the best. So you're beating one of the best. Let's beat the next best and move on from there. Absolutely. And and we just have to get over this hump. I think I don't want to bring in you know what we've done on the men's side, but it took us a long time to get to Munich and winning it finally right. in 2012, right? So uh, we have another opportunity with the women's team. And, of course, the first game's at home. The second game next Thursday is in Barcelona, which we know and we've seen videos and, and pictures of their stadium being packed for a women's game. So it's going to be in a hostile environment. It's going to be an environment that will be tested, not just physically, but mentally. And that's where you have to do the work at home in this the way it's set up and give yourself an opportunity going away where you can stay tight, where you can maybe nick a goal and defend and, and put, make them uncomfortable. Uh, but let's get some predictions from you. I know uh, we don't usually do this with the women's side, but uh, what are your score predictions for this first leg? Yes, I know against Lyon, it was a very tight one. I think it was 2-2 on aggregate, and we kind of squeezed through on penalties. With this Barcelona team, Rahul, they've been very, very unstoppable. I think at least for the first leg, we should be aiming for 2-0. And I think that's very important to get a little bit of buffer so when we do go to Barcelona, we can either sit on that buffer or at least try and play off of it where if they concede a goal, we have a little bit of room to grow into the game. So I'm going to go for 2-0. I think we can do it. I think we're home. I think we've just come off beating Leon. So there is an opportunity that we can say we're confident. Let's get the business done. I agree with you. I think we do need to win this game, but 
I just with our defensive issues, especially at center back, hopefully hopefully Kadisha Buchanan is back. But if she's not, I do see Barcelona getting at least one. So I'm going to go for a 2-1, which is still good. It gives us the buffer that you're Great. talking yeah. about and gives us some confidence if you beat a team like Barcelona and you say we're going to go away and they really have to score uh, at least twice to beat us. It gives us something to hold our, ourselves against. And the good thing, Jackie, is, and, and I don't know if this is from the league or the way it's been set up, but Chelsea play on a Saturday against Barcelona. They didn't have a midweek women's Super League fixture, even though I said we're two two games in hand. So they've been given the week for this fixture. Then they have another four or five days for the return leg, which I think helps because you're not distracted. You're not playing different uh, competitions, opens yourself up to other injuries and issues. Uh, but that could go the other way too, right? If you lose the first leg, you may need a distraction. So it uh, goes both ways, but I think a 2-1 for me, and let's, let's take something back to Barcelona and recreate some of the memories that we have from from what the men have done at the camp new and the women can be celebrating and I'd love to see Emma Hayes pulling a Jose Mourinho and sh- and and, and shushing <laughs> up the crowd uh, but jokes aside I, either way it's a fantastic tie and we'll be watching because that's the only Chelsea team we should be watching on the weekends uh, really <laughs> uh, but any parting thoughts from you Jackie before we wrap it up Listen, it's just been a tough season on the men's side of the house. I think it's going to continue to be a tough few years, Rahul. I know you said 18 months of no Champions League. I realistically look at it at maybe 36 months, so strapping for the ride. But listen, don't let the men's team get you down. Let's give some support to the women's team and grow the women's team as well because they're doing some fantastic things that I don't know if we would have envisioned in this type of time and and time frame watching everything that's going on. So... Hopefully they get that win and we can see how this plays out over the rest of the season. Absolutely. And before we wrap it up, guys, the game this weekend against Barcelona is going to be on CBS Sports. CBS has added the Women's Champions League as part of their offering here in the U.S. So definitely tune in. And I think globally, they usually end up showing the games on YouTube on uh, Danzen, Deezen. I might be messing it up. Uh, So you can tune in, watch, support. Because like Jackie said, we need to continue and and push the women and the sport further. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. Tap the Premier Chels on all podcast providers, Instagram, and on Twitter. It's at Premier Chels. And while you're there, leave us a review on Apple, Spotify. It helps us grow, helps us connect other with other fans. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, uh, so that we can reach other fans as well. But we will be back with the new episode, but until then, stay safe and up the chills. Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.